Yeah, on that note, if you guys would join us, me and Dara and uh, uh, Dad, we, I was talking to Dad about it the other day, just in the prayer about the youth group and what we're going to do. I would like to take the kids on a, a trip um, you know, to a youth camp somewhere, but I don't know where we go, you know? <laughs> there's there's nowhere really to go, and me and Dad were talking about it, and whenever I was growing up, we didn't really go to a whole lot of youth camps for that exact reason, you know? There's, Either you go to the ultra-strict holiness camps and you're not accepted, or you go to the ultra-liberal and you can't go there. So <laughs> you might as well go to a nudist, you know, festival or something. You know, it's it's terrible. So uh, just be praying. You know, we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, and just, just hopefully uh, hopefully the Lord will, will give us some guidance and some ideas, something um, something for us to do. But... I will try to keep it short tonight. Um, that way we can oh. get a different over there. Oh, there we go. Got to hold it up closer. Um, actually, I can't hear anything out of here. But uh, I will try to keep keep it short tonight, so we can indulge our flesh in football. That's a that's a really good idea. Let's cut the things of the Lord short. That way we can go indulge ourselves in fleshly things. Right? I mean, that's a great idea. Uh, but let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I feel like I'm, uh, whenever I'm, dad texts me to, to preach, I preached one other time, actual, actually preaching uh, a couple months ago, and I feel like I get a little bit self-conscious about preaching just because we, we have so many great preachers, guys who've been doing it for so long, and I, I look at their messages, then I look at mine, and I go, wow, that's a little different, but you know, we, we, we just preach from what God's given us, and that's what I'm going to do tonight. Um, that's going to be my effort. And I'm not going to uh, try to preach anything else besides what the Lord's placed on my heart. Um, the Lord has really challenged me uh, in probably the last month or so, specifically, in a few things. And so tonight I want to share those with you guys. And I am not, this is, if it's to nobody else, it's something towards myself. Um, something for me. So first, first Samuel chapter 17 and verse 22, and it's talking about David going to uh, see his brothers, and his brothers, they're, they're in the battle um, with the Philistines, and it says, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army, and he came and saluted his brethren, and he asked with, or he talked with them, and behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake according to the same words, and David heard him. And so I'm going to go through this, this tonight, this kind of progression of David and Saul, and hopefully it will touch your guys' heart. But David is, tells his brothers later on, he says to his brothers and fellow soldiers, what are you guys going to do about him? Uh, Goliath is mocking the, the Israelites. He's mocking David's brothers, he's challenging their manhood, he's, he is uh, challenging their God, he's mocking their God, and so he's, he asks his brothers, what are, they, what are you going to do about this? And they relatively say nothing, and so he decides, you know, I'm going to go to the king. So he goes to Saul, and after a conversation with Saul, Saul attempts to put his armor on him. Saul says, I'm done. And so it says in, in verse 37 of I didn't write that. But it says, And David said, Moreover, uh, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, 
and he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor and put his helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And Weston, would you come up here real quick? I want to give you guys an example of something. You know, this is the youth group shenanigans, I guess. But I kind of had this picture in my mind. Okay, we got the king. We got King Saul, and David wasn't probably. No, this is no bash at you. As small as Weston, he's probably a little bit more of a man. But I had this thought. Saul is bringing out his armor. And he's giving it to, to David. He's saying, hey, guys, or he's saying, hey, David, you want to go take on Goliath? Have fun. So he gives him his helmet. He gives him his, his plate protector. got to slip that off real quick. Saying, hey, protect yourself. And you know what? I'm going to give you my holster, too. But you're going to have to kind of wear it like that because it's not going to go around your waist. All right, put that on. We got a bad guy outside. I want you to go take care of him, all right? You got it? Sounds good. <laughs> this is what Saul, the equivalent of what Saul is doing to David. He's saying, hey, here's all my stuff to protect me, to go do what I should be doing. Here you go. Have fun. Go take care of it. Thank you, Weston. You can take it off and sit right over there. I just wanted to give you guys a, a visual of that. He's, he's putting David in a position that he himself should be taken care of. Saul sends a boy to go do his job. He has, he has satisfied his conscience by at least giving him something, right? He says, you know, I'm a little nervous to go out there and deal with Goliath, so I'm going to go ahead and send a boy out and at least give him my stuff to do it. And from that point on, we see a downward spiral in Saul's life. Because he failed to do his duty. I'm going to talk tonight about something the Lord has laid on my heart and has been dealing with me for a while on. And this is we compare ourselves constantly and justify our actions compared to others. We feel like we're good because, well, at least I'm not that person. I know everyone in here at least has had this thought come across their mind once. At least once. I want this because so-and-so. Or my attitude is acceptable because so-and-so did this or that or whatever. I don't have to because, right, we justify constantly. It's something that we deal with as, as human beings, as, fle as flesh people. We just deal with that. We deal with this justification of we had a guy come out a, a couple months ago, and, and we had worked a long day. Austin and Coop were out, and, and Pop was out, and Jackson and Chad, and we poured this big slab, and we, me and I were working it until dark, and it was dark, and we're trying to put these blankets on it to cover it, to keep it from freezing, and I mean, we were just busted our butts, and he come out there, and he starts nitpicking it, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm justifying my actions. I'm thinking, dude, I'm going to pop this guy in the mouth right now. He says, one more thing. Is that the right response? In my mind, I think it is, but I'm justifying my actions because of what he's doing. And that thought process allows us to be undisciplined, all because of our justification, not seeing the harm in it the whole time. We don't see the harm that it causes us. Saul doesn't see the harm that it causes himself because he's justifying, well, if I go out there, Goliath's going to kill me. And hey, if, the, <laughs> if Weston wants to go out there and get killed, here you go, cut, son, right? 
<clears throat> and that thought process of justification, I'm guilty of it too. The Lord, you know, Pop preached about that a while back, or a couple Sundays ago, about shining the light in, right? And then he preached about heart surgery. And the Lord's really, really been shining the light and doing some heart surgery on me on some things in my life. We never intend to harm ourselves or others, but we have justified our actions and thoughts to the point that it is actually, that we actually believe them. And we have told ourselves so much that we actually refuse to see the truth about ourselves. Saul is content with just being at the battle because at least he's there. He feels like he has accomplished his job in his duty as king. And so he feels justified in sending David out to see Goliath. I could hear him saying, well, <clears throat> everyone else isn't going out there, so I, why should I, right? One second, skip down a little too far. Um, maybe it will satisfy Goliath for a while if I send David out. Maybe it will, maybe it will get him a little bit off of our, our, off of our tails. There are two things in our lives that get us into trouble probably more than any other two things combined. That is justification and the absence from godly counsel. In my opinion, Saul is plagued in his life with a constant battle of justification and a lack of godly counsel. We see that in his dealings with David, right? He feels, and later on, if you read through, um, I believe it is, uh, I don't remember. I was reading it. I don't remember where it was exactly, but you see Saul whenever they come back from the battle and, and David kills Goliath and they come praising in the streets and they say, Saul kills a thousand, but David kills 10,000. And, and, and Saul immediately is justified and he feels, he is justified in, his, in his, uh, his anger towards David because they are, the people are praising him. And he says, well, I'm king. Why aren't they saying that about me? David faces a little different issue than Saul, in my opinion. He is sensitive to the counsel of God and desires it, but his haste makes him make a lot of mistakes and often sets him up to fail because he fails to seek God's counsel before he goes and does something. <laughs> he just assumes what he is doing is what God wants him to do, right? I mean, if we're all honest in here, I think all of us can agree and say, I've been there. I'm guilty of that. I think, well, Hey, I'm, Lord, I'm a good guy. I love you. I'm, I'm trying to pursue you, so I feel like this is what I should do, so this must be your desire for me, right? I mean, that gets us into a lot of trouble a lot of times. So now let's fast forward to David when he's trying to bring the ark back into, um, into, in, in, uh, bring, bring the ark back to Israel. <clears throat> David decides and from the scriptures we uh david wakes up one day and all of a sudden all of a sudden decides he's going to move the ark back to its rightful place and in his ambition he i never caught this before he gets together thirty thousand men to go get this ark thirty thousand i mean it's i'm sure it probably wasn't super light but thirty thousand i think is a little bit ambitious right it says that he goes and gathers thirty thousand righteous men to go get the ark. And we don't know how many exactly carried the ark. I try to look that up, and there, people assume, but there, from what I understand, there's nothing that really says exactly how many carried it. But I can guarantee you it wasn't 30,000. Right? But we can see that 
because of the number 30,000, you can see David's haste. You can see David, he's wanting to do the right thing. And so he says, hey, all the righteous men of Echoes of Calvary, let's go get the ark. But we don't need all the righteous men of Echoes of Calvary, right? We, may, we, may, we maybe need five, six. I mean, we're all pretty capable men. 30,000, the whole community of Claremore to go get the ark? It's a little bit ambitious. David's, David's haste to do the honorable thing, but he negates God. He negates the instructions of God. He then puts the ark on a, on a new cart and is moved by oxen whenever God told him not to do it that way, right? And we see whenever they get to, to the uh, Nikon's, Nikon's threshing floor, however you pronounce that, that Uzzah reaches up to stabilize the ark, right? Not doing anything wrong. Not ill-willed trying to protect the, the Spirit of God, right? Reaches up and touches it and is, and it is immediately killed. Um, <clears throat> and the funny thing to me, too, is that David, <laughs> David, whenever they start to move the ark with the 30,000, that they get together and they start singing and praising, right? And, and they're rejoicing, and then as soon as Uzzah is struck dead, David is mad. He's mad at God. He's angry with God because he negated God's instructions. He's mad that, he, that, that Uzzah was struck dead even though David is in the wrong. Isn't that funny how we do that with God, right? That we get mad at God whenever he, he punishes us for doing what he instructed us not to do. But we're mad at God and we feel justified. On a side note, I, you know, I, I feel like we, we in, in this body are, are pretty blessed, but when it comes to the moving of the Spirit of God, we all want the Spirit of God to be moving in our lives, we want Him dwelling in us and with us, but doing anything besides what's already been instructed leads to death. Uzzah's intentions weren't wrong in trying to stabilize the ark, but in King David's haste, he didn't mind the instructions already given by God, and because of that, Uzzah dies. Be careful to not try to move the cart too quickly. Because there is a reason that God has already given the old instructions. Because they're right. We see this happen a lot in modern day church. Where they're trying to move the spirit of God. And they're going to get in there and play the loud and powerful music. And they're going to do the crazy things. I mean, Mike Todd does all these crazy things. Be careful. Be careful who you're following. I mean... We can feel bad for Uzzah, but maybe Uzzah should have known not to reach up and touch the cart, or no, touch the ark. And maybe Uzzah should have told, hey, king, you know, back in, in, when we're looking and God tells us how to move the ark, maybe we should move it that way. So we, I mean, there's, kinda, there's two people wrong here. Maybe Uzzah should have realized it instead of just closing his eyes blindly and following David. Like I said, whenever... Uzzah is struck dead. David is mad at God. And then 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 8, David is angry because the Lord, uh, sorry, the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. And he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to, bur uh, to burst out against Uzzah. And it is called that to this day. I find it, like I said, I find it so comical that he's mad at God. <clears throat> and David's the one in the wrong. Normally, whenever we're mad at God, we're the one in the wrong. <laughs> right? 
we've got, we got two options here. Either God's wrong or you're wrong. So if you're mad at God, is he wrong? <laughs> anyway, that was, that was a side note. Because of his intentions to do right, he completely fails to see where his own wrongdoing is. And how he failed to follow simple instructions that God had already given him to carry the ark. <clears throat> Our failure to lead properly as men always leads to trouble in the end. So my, the main verse that I wanted to, to focus on is 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the times when king go, kings go forth to battle, David sent, sent Joab and his servants and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, and David tarried still in Jerusalem. See, kings back in the day, they used to go to war generally in the springtime. From what I was, I, I looked up um, history, and a lot of times they would, they, would, they would go and leave probably around March-ish, try to get there before the enemy could harvest their crops, because then it was a double bonus. You take all their wealth and you take all their food. But moving troops in the wintertime back then was a terrible thing and nearly impossible at times. <clears throat> and like I said, if you attacked them in the springtime, then you could also feed your troops off of that, take some food home, right, and, and have a double portion of, of, what, of your crops and their crops. There was many reasons why they would go in the springtime. So it wasn't just the fact of that specific time. It was a, it was a tradition that kings would go to war at that time if they were going to go to war. <clears throat> David is doing exactly what Saul did. He's putting off his responsibility as king. He is sending someone else into the battle into his, for, in his place, and because of this, it leads to a major failure in David's life. If we take a minute, I think we all could find our, the failures in our own lives if we allow the Lord to shine his light in and do some heart surgery. And so I took a look at myself and, and see some of these same failings. God revealed the constant failure in my life of discipline and how I should in many and how I sh should be disciplining myself in many areas in my life. <clears throat> God is not comparing any of us in here to another. And like I said, we can very easily look at look at ourselves and go, "Well, at least I'm not doing what that person's doing. At least we're not doing what that church is doing." But that's not how God looks at us. God doesn't care about being better. That's, that's, God doesn't care. God's not like, well, you know, Rodney, I'm proud of you because at least you're being better than so-and-so. He doesn't care. <clears throat> There's a huge difference between doing something and doing something how you should. Just watch HGTV. <laughs> watch these homeowners renovate and then watch a pro, Right? <laughs> when I say God shined a light in my life and revealed some things and how I was perfectly content to believe the justification lies I had told myself I say I mean it's true he had shined the light into every area of my life cutting away some stuff and even all the way down to how I was disciplining myself and what I was consuming <clears throat> it's not enough for me just to be at the battle with Goliath it's not enough for me just to be content. Well, at least I'm there. At least I discipline myself better than what the world does. 
right? Discipline is something, I'm getting ahead of myself, but discipline is something that literally, if we look in the Bible, that's the base word of disciple, right? <clears throat> We've been blessed with, to follow some great men with great discipline in our lives. My dad and my grandpa are two of the most disciplined men I've ever known, but that is not good enough for me. Discipline isn't something transferable. I can't take discipline and say, hey, here's some, take it, right? Oh, you're thirsty? Here, here's some discipline, take it. As the head of my household, um, if I don't find the things, of, uh, if I don't find discipline for the things of the Lord in my life, then my children won't either. If I don't find discipline as the head of my household, then I will be sending my children out to face Goliath whenever I should have been facing Goliath. I'll be sending them out ill-equipped and unprepared. And sure, God might give them the power to slay, to slay, uh, sorry, slay Goliath, but why should they be going out and slaying the giants when I should have handled it in the first place? Before they even come around, before... Before David even came, Saul should have already been out there handling business, if we look at it. This had been going on for some time. Goliath had been going out there mocking God, mocking them. I mean, as a man, if we had somebody out standing out in front of the church right now, even out at the road, and they're mocking our church, I probably would set the mic down right now and go out there and meet him, right, as a man. Saul, as a man, should have been doing that. I don't, I don't care how big the guy is. He should have been... Hey, I don't care who you are. We're not going to stand for this. This should have been over a long time ago. But Saul's negate of his duties caused him to send a child, a young man, somebody who should have never had to deal with this, to go out and deal with this. The point isn't whether God moved and used David. The point is, is that we as men and, and women also need to handle the duties that have been set before us. <clears throat> all because Saul wasn't disciplined enough, David had to face Goliath. He should have been at war defending his nation instead of, instead of relaxing in his opulence and luxury. But Christ our King hasn't handed off his duties. God isn't sitting on his rooftop relaxing when he should have been on the cross. He's not sending someone else to handle his duties whenever he's sitting on the throne. I find it amazing that our king humbles himself, takes up his cross, and dies for our sins when it's time for kings to go forth to war. He went to war. And because of that, we can look to him and follow after him. In John 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 12, And Jesus spake again unto him, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that follow after me shall not fall, uh, walk in darkness, but shall have light in his life. We have the opportunity to follow a king who leads by example, which allows us to then lead by example. On our own, we would fail on how to lead, but all we have to do is just look to Christ. If Jesus is growing in strength and increasing in grace and wisdom when he is a child, then shouldn't we also be doing this? We constantly talk about growing in the Lord, 
But what I think, or sorry, <clears throat> but what, uh, growing in the Lord, but what to think, that's, uh, sorry, we think about it on the outside. And we often don't think about it in discipline. I believe we should be looking literally every day on how to find somewhere to be more disciplined in growing in the Lord. Following Christ isn't just a mindset change, it's a life change. So then why should we stop changing after our initial dedication? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. And whoever, whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his uh, life as a ransom for many. Our duty as lords and kings of our households, leaders of our households, is to follow the example of Christ. Not just in sharing the light and, the minis- and ministering, but in the suffering as well. To become disciplines, or to, to become disciples in disciplining ourselves in every way. <clears throat> we should not be caught up in the luxury that life ha- affords us. We are so blessed in, the, in this nation to have so many things. I mean, we have amazing cars and amazing houses and so much better than what everybody else has. But just saying, well, hey, I read my Bible and I pray isn't enough. We, okay, I'll, I'll, this is the point whenever I start talking about myself. I looked at myself and I say, hey, I read, I pray, I go to church three times a week, I go to prayer on Saturday nights, I discipline myself. And the Lord said, no, you don't. You don't discipline yourself. You are lax in a lot of these areas. And is, are, am I talking about doing bad things? No, but I'm talking about not being as disciplined as I should. Me and my dad talk about this frequently in my wrestling, that I feel like myself, I look at, at, my, at my career, and a lot of people say, man, you were very successful. My, the record shows that I am very successful. But I look at myself and said, how much more successful would I have been if I would have disciplined myself? And how much more successful would we be in our walk with Christ if we just would discipline ourselves a little bit more? Not that the people of the, of the body of Christ look at us and say, well, you know what, you're pretty disciplined, but that we look at ourselves and we find ourselves disciplined. I mean, we all look at, I looked at myself this way. I look in the mirror and go, man, I'm carrying a lot of extra weight. I'm going to go eat some ice cream in the fridge. Right? <laughs> I'm going to go get a double portion of whatever we have for dinner, right? We do that in our spiritual life too. Man, I'm not as disciplined as I should. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be even more undisciplined. We do that. Not doing bad things. We're not, we're not doing horrible, sinful things, but we live a life that is so undisciplined. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Rodney, you've got to take up discipline. You've got to take control of your life. Discipline is, is like a steering wheel. You've got to grab, grasp it. Otherwise, you're going to go a lot of places you never want to go. Sure, I mean, we, we all have driven on the roads before and got to do something. You let go of the wheel, right? And the nice str- cars that we have and the alignments and everything, they go straight down the road for a little while. Sure, we might be able to go straight for a little while but then we're going to have catastrophe happen in our life. All because we wouldn't discipline in certain areas. I don't want to look at my life at the end end of my life and say, 
how much better could I have been if I would have just disciplined in these little areas? My dad has said many times in my life, through my, my, my wrestling career, he said, yeah, you were very disciplined in, in this area, but you weren't disciplined in that area. And he would, he would preach this to the kids, and now that I'm, I'm, I coach some and whatever, I, I try to preach this to the, to the kids too. I tell the, I've told the kids many, many, many times, if you're going to be a champion in the classroom and you're going to be a champion at home, but you're failing to be a champion with your parents, you're not a champion. In order to be a champion, you have to be a champion at home. You've got to be a champion with your wife. You've got to be a champion with your kids. You've got to be a champion in your, in your relationship with the Lord. And then you become the champion. You don't get to, to be king and fail to do your duties. And this is what the Lord spoke to me was that if I want to be a champion, if I want to be a, a, a champion youth pastor, and I want to be a champion husband, and I want to be a champion father, then I can't be lax. I can't be gluttonous in so many areas of my life. Like I said, the Lord has really challenged me to look at every area of my life and to find something literally every day and say, I'm going to discipline myself in this. I'm going to discipline myself in that. It doesn't, it's, not a, it's not about that specific thing, because then people take it to the crazy, the far extreme of what you wear, and, okay, I'm going to discipline myself, and I'm never going to wear a pair of shorts again. I'm going to discipline myself, and I'm never going to, you know, do this ever again. I'm never going to watch football. I'm going to get rid of my TV. Okay, but it's not about football, and it's not about TV, right? It, that's, it's not what it's about. It's about discipline. It's about disciplining your flesh, my dad has said this many times to me. Are you, if, it, it's similar about the champion thing, but if you're disciplined in every area, but you're not disciplined in this area, are you a disciplined person? We want to justify it to ourselves. Well, yeah, I'm undisciplined, but I'm more disciplined than that person. Not good enough. Not good enough for the Lord. The Lord doesn't want second best. He wants first best. He wants our best. What this looks like in everybody else's lives might be different. But I'm just telling you what I feel like it looks like in my life. And we have to allow the master to shine his light in and reveal those things that need to be cut away and allow yourself to grow. We, you, you look at, um, if you look at, at fruit trees and, and different things, a lot of times they will, put, excuse me, they will put things in the ground or things around them to help them grow. Right? If you have tomatoes, they put the, the little cages around them and it helps the tomatoes to grow. But then eventually, if, the, if it gets too big, if a tree gets too big, they'll put a stake next to it. It constricts its growth. And that's the same thing in our lives. If we're undisciplined, if we're keeping things in our life that are allowing us to be undisciplined, that are, are holding us back, it's going to constrict our growth. It's going to constrict our growth in Christ. We may grow to be big. You might look at some of these trees that you drive around, and man, those are pretty big trees. But if you constricted its growth, how much bigger could it have been? How much better could it have been? How much stronger could it have been? How much stronger could my faith and my relationship with the Lord be if I would just discipline myself in certain areas? And like I said, to me, the Lord literally, it, it even came down to how, what I was allowing into my body. That I was undisciplined in the fact that I'm like, 
and I'm going to go eat the third piece of cupcake or cake or whatever. Because, again, it's not about how I look. It's not about my specific weight. It's about discipline. It's about I'm going to play a, a mind game with myself. And my mind saying, hey, I want that. I'm going to say, you know, I don't need that. It's just discipline. That's all it is. And so, like I said, I don't know if it's for anybody else, but for me, the Lord's been working with that on me, in, in me. And I think the Lord can work on a lot of people in that area. But I think we all could look at our lives and say, how much more disciplined can I be? It's not about getting away with it, right? Because we can get away with, it, with a lot of things. We, if you look in sports, you have a lot of guys who are just naturally super athletic, naturally very good football players. You're going to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon, and you're going to watch the guys that are just naturally gifted athletes. And some of them are a lot more gifted than others and haven't had to put nearly as much work in. And then you're going to have some guys that you look at and you go, we had a guy whenever I was a, a freshman in high school, he was the wrestling coach's son, had almost every physical limitation you could have and play sports. Literally, I mean, he was so physically, and I watched that guy after practice would run until he threw up would do push-ups until he couldn't do push-ups anymore, would work himself literally to his physical limit to try to be as successful as other people. And we in America, in the American church, won't even do that for the Lord because we have so much comfort and our lives are so blessed that we aren't pushed to the absolute limit. And like I said, the Lord really spoke to me. How, how far can you push yourself? How hard can you push yourself? How disciplined can you be? Because the Lord doesn't want second best in our lives. Amen? All right. Thank you.